Hello and welcome to another episode of the Racist Formula E podcast. I'm your host Andrew Vanderberg and this week I'm joined by one of the most successful and versatile professional drivers racing today, Andre Lotterer. The current Tag Heuer Porsche Formula E team driver has enjoyed a varied career that started with some eye-catching Formula 3 performances at the turn of millennium, a very early test driver role with the Jaguar Formula 1 team, which is actually when we worked together, it feels like quite a long time ago. The dual German-Belgian national then went on to carve out a fruitful career in Japan, winning two Super GT championships and a Formula Nippon title. But it was an endurance racing where Lotterer enjoyed his most notable success, taking a hat-trick of Le Mans wins for Audi and the inaugural WEC title in 2012. A switch to Formula E was something of a shock move in 2017 when a tech cheetah team, uh, but he was soon running at the front of the field. And although he is still to break his electric racing duck, he is considered as one of the top performers in motorsport's fastest growing discipline. Often lauded for his honest and straightforward views on racing, Lotro was a hit with the fans and media for his deep-rooted and pure love of racing. Joining me as always on the Formula E podcast is our man in the paddock, Sam Smith has attended many of Lotterer's races throughout his 22-year professional career. So, Sam, uh, tell me a bit about how you've grown to know Andre over the years. Well, yeah, I think I'm probably one of few who've seen quite a lot of Andre's races, even a Formula Nippon race back in 2003, which was, I think, his first season over there in, in Japan in, in, uh, in Nippon. I, I think, honestly, anyone who's had a successful career of this length, of Andre's length in professional motorsport, deserves a great deal of respect. And actually, respect is the word you hear a lot about him because I think the teams that he's raced for certainly always have a high opinion of him. And I think, tellingly, his fellow professionals uh, have got a lot of respect for, for Andre, what he's achieved. He's, he's a hard driver, he's fast, he's fair, usually. But really, I suppose it's a decent description to state he's a driver's driver. And as you mentioned, Andy, someone who... I think absolutely loves racing and it often shows in terms of his, his passion for the sport. Well, Andre, a nice big build up for you there. Um, how are you doing? How are you finding uh, life in the COVID lockdown? Well, I'm feeling very good with all these compliments. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, yeah, it's nice to, to hear all these nice words. And yeah, I'm doing great. Um, at the moment, actually, back to action with uh, going to. Um, to Vaisa with uh, sim sessions, etc. So to get uh, back to preparation as we uh, didn't really have a, a, a rest in terms of um, the lockdown. The team still continued to analyze uh, all the data because obviously as, as being a new team, we, we learned a lot and uh, it was um, in a way for sure a shame that we couldn't continue racing, but also uh, a valuable time for us to, to analyze a lot of the data that, uh, that we accumulated as a new team. But uh, for me personally, it was, it was nice to, to have a break. Um, I mean, you guys all know how intense racing can be when you, you go around the world. And uh, I think that for me has been the case since I'm actually 13. I, I must have been on the run non-stop uh, since since then because racing internationally uh, also in go-karts everything uh, it, it was uh, the first time in my life I think that I spent more than a week or two weeks in the same place so this <laughs> not seeing an airport everything was quite uh, nice to to recover from all these years of uh, 
of uh, pushing hard. So um, luckily I have a, uh, a holiday home in south of France and uh, the lockdown wasn't too bad, after, if I'm honest. So um, yeah, apart from not being able to be in a race car, it's been pretty good. You've got another few weeks to, to wait before you get back to racing and then you're going to do more than half a season in nine days. And how hard is that going to be? Well, I hope my endurance uh, experience will help me there <laughs> because uh, uh, when we go to Le Mans, it's quite intense as well. And uh, we used to to go uh, beyond uh, what we think we can do. And I think that will be the case. And uh, um not just the, the the race week itself, uh, but also the the, the prep before uh, will be intensive simulator sessions with the teams because we have to prepare three different layouts. And uh, as you may know, in Formula E, <clears throat> you might even just change a corner and it changes the whole uh, consumption and efficiency for the whole lap because we try to adjust every corner uh, and, and it all has to match together so um, and there are different power modes and everything to simulate so I think we'll, uh, we'll it will be yeah, a whole intensive month uh, with the weeks before the race and, and, and everything but uh, on the other hand we, we had a huge break so <laughs> I guess uh, it's it's okay to to be busy uh, in, that, in that way. I'm really happy that we go back to action. And uh, um, I think it's quite efficient in a way to do it all in one go there at the track uh, in Berlin. And uh, it's a unique situation. Uh, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy that we, we have the opportunity. And hopefully my car will be good <laughs> there because um, I think that uh, if you struggle there for six races, uh, that might get really frustrating. But uh, I, I I hope it'll be fine. Yeah, that's going to be a bit of a challenge for, for you and the team because Tempelhof is not like anywhere else on the calendar, especially with that high grip surface it's got. Does, does the fact that this is the team's first race there put you at a bit of a disadvantage? Well, we're definitely going to have to, to pay our learning price. Uh, but as we've seen, you know, we had a podium in the first race in Riyadh, which was a bit more of a driver's track uh, in a way where you could do a bit more in that sense and, and other city tracks as well. There's a bit more to be extracted in, in, in driving than, than in Berlin, for example. Berlin, I don't want to say it's easy. It's relatively easy for all the drivers to, to get to uh, a limit. And um, so the performance of the package will also be a bit more the... the, the the thing that would that would stand out rather than some like I said some tracks where the driver can also compensate sometimes but uh, I mean we we also performed well on a on a track like Mexico in in, in qualifying with a pole position and that is a bit uh, a similar layout and than what Berlin can 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 be but Berlin is unique in a way because it's not really high grip it's 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 uh, high wear actually the grip is not that high um, so uh, it's tough on the tires and it's it's quite tough on energy so I think on, on a one lap performance from what I've seen we can do well in the race uh, uh, as we saw in Marrakesh we 
were not where we wanted to be, but we also learned a lot. And I think we, we had the time to readdress a lot of things. So hopefully we can put that into practice in Berlin for the race. You mentioned there's three different layouts. There's been some talk of running one of them in reverse. What sort of challenge does that present to you as a driver sort of having to run a track backwards? Well, it's basically a new track. Uh, I mean, okay, you, you know a bit more uh, where the track goes around, but uh, in terms of performance and, and how you approach things it's and you ha- how you have to extract the best out of your car is basically a new track. You um you mentioned there sort of how the team's been performing up until now for a, for a new team. Has it, has it sort of met or exceeded your expectations for this season to date? Well, it definitely exceeded with uh, our podium in Riyadh. I don't think anyone would have thought that. And we all know how tough it is to, to uh, excel in Formula E with um, the level of competition and equality that we have between cars and the material we, we get. So I think that was definitely a, a huge highlight for, for, for the brand and for myself, for everyone involved in the team. And uh, also with the pole position in, in Mexico, I think uh, w- within that short time of being new in this championship, it definitely uh, exceeded. Uh, although there was um, also a lot of disappointment with not being able to to finish races uh, due to accidents and, and issues. And the one race where I didn't have issues was Marrakesh, but there we didn't manage it so well in terms of energy. I tried to defend a bit too much. I put myself in a difficult situation, but uh, we realized we have work to do, uh, which is completely normal as uh, being a new team. Uh, so it's, um, it's, 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 uh, it's okay. I think we, we're on track with everything and, and, and in, in some time, in some moments we exceeded. Sam, what, what have you made of the job that Porsche have done uh, so far this year? Um, I suppose it's been mixed, really. Uh, there were some rumours that they were going to struggle in their first season, but in Saudi, as Andre said, they got this remarkable podium. You know, not many, uh, not many teams have achieved that before. And I think looking at the powertrain, it, it's clearly not the best over a race distance, as we've seen, particularly in uh, in, in Mexico in the early stages in, in Marrakesh too. But it's for a first campaign. It's a decent foundation for them to build on, or it was until this this whole pandemic disaster took place. I think the pole in Mexico was really special. You know, another another mighty lap from Andre there to grab Porsche's first pole. But again, they weren't able to kick on and capitalize on that during the race. I think the the big question now is going to be: Can they recover from losing all that track time at circuits that they? we're going to be racing on, but they will be racing on next season. So you're going to miss out on a lot of data from those um, from those races they're not taking part in. I think the Marrakesh one was, was interesting. What you've got to recall and remember is that Marrakesh was quite a, a late replacement in the calendar. So actually when Porsche were doing a lot of their development, a lot of their their sums and their maths and their their, uh, their R&D, Marrakesh wasn't a circuit that they were expecting to race on. So that, that maybe explains some of the the disappointment from, from that. that. They'll dig deep because it's Porsche. They'll get there, I think, within the team and at board, board level, there will be some expectations to start challenging for more podiums in in season two next next term, uh, and potentially you know looking at wins, but you know, being in a position to to get wins at the end of that season, um, they set high standards and and you know they they will they will have to be met going forward in the next few seasons. Andre, 
Formula E is not really like any other championship in the world. It's certainly the only um, high-profile single-seater electric uh, championship. So how important has your knowledge of that Gen 2 car from the previous year been and, and what's your role been in the team in bringing that knowledge to bear? Yeah, it's definitely uh, different than any other uh, championship where experience is, uh, is key and you see that also in um, most choices, uh, most teams' choices uh, for drivers is it's hard to, to commit to a new driver. And I had the chance that uh, Techita believed in me and uh, gave me the opportunity to join Formula E. And um, I think as every driver, except the ones that started it from the beginning, uh, it's it's always a bit of a shock. But I think from from round three in in Mexico, I showed that um, Santiago, I showed that uh, I can play at the front and. Uh, um, even though I still had a lot to learn. But yeah, I learned a lot there with the two seasons at the Cheetah. And then um, I, I faced this uh, this decision to make, um, to either stay or go for the new challenge. And to be honest with you, when I joined uh, when my, my plan to go to Formula E, after Porsche retired or stopped uh, the, the LMP program was to actually do my homework and be ready when Porsche would join. But I had no idea that I will have the chance to join a, a, um, a top team or that Cheetah was going to be a top team like that. And uh, so I faced myself in, in, the, in this luxury problem. <laughs> um, but I decided finally to, to go for this, this challenge with Porsche, um, which was a, a more difficult one I think because I had something guaranteed uh, that would work but uh, I like the challenge and uh, um, I think um, the combination with Porsche and, and the future and everything is something that I didn't want to miss out and uh, yeah definitely my, my experience helped I think a lot in, in bringing insights uh, of how Formula E works and also I had the opportunity to bring my, my engineer Fabrice Roussel with me and uh i think i think yeah, i mean i can't speak of myself like that but i think it's it's still a, i think it's 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 a benefit uh for, for the team for sure because as formula e is quite unique we um we we, uh, we managed to, to put things together a bit quicker and uh although porsche was very well uh prepared they they, they were coming for two seasons to watch the races and and uh, I was surprised by how well prepared uh, some things were then on on the other hand I think they they were not used to or not able to see ahead how uh, how how quickly a family weekend happens and how much randomness is is uh thrown at you um and and this in, in case by case situations that um, you, you that you can't simulate before, so I think that that is the the biggest aspect that we we managed to bring to the team. It must have been a, a bit of a tricky decision to leave the only team to ever win back to back titles. But I imagine when Porsche come knocking, you answer the call. Yeah, I mean, I, I was still on the Porsche contract uh, as I had a, a a longer deal when I left Audi and I went there. So even though I raced only one year in 2017 and they stopped, I was still on the Porsche contract for another two years. And that meant that I was still in the Porsche family, but it, that was coming to an end uh, that, that year. But uh, um, 
we we were negotiating and I didn't expect it to happen to be honest and then finally it just uh quickly let's say escalated I, I was I was actually planning on on staying uh, at the cheetah and then um finally I, I I made the move and yeah it was not an easy decision like you say it was a it's a top team a good situation there I speak uh, French so I felt quite at home there it's a good relationship with Jeff so no big reason to not be happy there like I was I was very happy there I mean it's it's uh and really grateful for the opportunity and everything was running well but it's not so easy when uh <laughs> when you have Porsche calling and, and, and pushing you to join the team and you've been there so and um it, it's also a longer term history as well with 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 what I did with Audi and the whole Volkswagen group so I'm, I'm in that um in that uh, group for since since 2010, and uh, I thought, okay, it's a it's something that can be also good for my long term uh, beyond Formula Formula E as well. Yeah, the the whole sort of John Dre uh, relationship with Jeff was one of those sort of ongoing uh, fun stories in the paddock. Are you two able to still remain close, even though you're sort of rivals on uh, for different manufacturers now? Definitely, definitely. Uh, I think uh, a friendship. Uh, it's, it's, it's a friendship that um, was based on true friendship, not by just being teammates. And uh, yeah, we still talk to each other. Obviously, we can't uh, share that many stories because we spend less time together at the track. But um, oh, we we definitely buddies. And uh, what we had in those two years, uh, it's some, a lot of memorable moments that uh, uh, won't go away. So uh, they, that that you brought us really uh, together and uh, as colleagues and, and but mainly as friends. Formula E's had this incredible success over the past sort of five, six seasons in attracting manufacturers and uh, uh, helping to cause a bit of a, a surge in interest in electric cars. Has it sort of changed the way that you view the world of car manufacturing? Definitely. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's been a really interesting uh, evolution throughout the whole career. If you look at it, you start in go-karts and then you aim to go to Formula 1 and your aim is just speed flat out and, and, and just pure racing and then uh, for me I, I, I went to Japan to keep my ability to be a professional racer and uh, in, in Japan the, the activities was more based on, on, on the sport on you had Toyota, Honda and Nissan being involved there in local championships and uh, to, to, to run the show basically and uh, the manufacturers were not using that championship that much as a, as a relevant platform and, and then I, I had the opportunity to go race at Le Mans where that became that or that race is since many, many years a relevant platform for manufacturers to, to show how good they are. So there I first started to get a, a taste of that, what it meant for manufacturer to go to Le Mans and to bring new technologies. And um, I joined with the diesels, which, which is obviously based on efficiency and broke new benchmarks and new records uh, at Le Mans. And, and then things become even more interesting when, when the hybrid technology came and uh, we, we started to go faster with like 30 or even almost 40% less uh, 
like emission or, or less energy than, and we, we were becoming really, really efficient with, with uh, very modern race cars. And, and uh, now you find yourself in, in, in an electric car that's it's very performing as well and with a new format, a new philosophy behind it. And, and this is, uh, yeah, it's really interesting and it's good to see that, that the car manufacturers are still and keep on looking for platforms to, to represent the future and their new technologies. And uh, this is where, where it's at right now. Uh, with Formalie, as you see, how many manufacturers there are involved. Um, Sam, it's it's fair to say that Andre wasn't alone. At the outset of Formula e have been a bit skeptical about it. How how did you sort of make? What did you make of his comments at the time? Um, well, well, he wasn't alone in being in being skeptical, was he? I think you and I both know that in 2015, when I think I think it was Battersea Park, was it Andre? You you first went to see Formula E race? Yeah, and um, you know, I think. I think there was a lot of scepticism about the whole championship, about all electric racing. Uh, and, and you and I both know, Andy, that although there was a great amount of potential in the in, in electric single-seater racing, it was already, it was quite rudimentary to start with. So it was also the height of the LMP hybrid era, which Andre was involved in driving these unbelievable cars. Um, so I think going from that to seeing what Formula E was doing in its first season. Um, I don't think anyone holds it against Andre or other drivers who who didn't quite believe in it from that standpoint. And there were drivers in the championship who clearly didn't believe that it could become the success it has. So he was one of thousands of people, really, who were sceptical about it all. So in that sense, it was, I guess, nothing too remarkable that, uh, that, that he offered those opinions at that time, I guess. Yeah, there were people in the championship. I think they were a bit sceptical about it in the first season. Um, but uh, <laughs> there you go. Um, Andre, I'm interested in you know Porsche have been around in motorsport forever as part of their DNA. Um, how do things differ there to the approach they had at Chichita, which was effectively quite a new team? You know, that's all was almost a sort of half independent, half factory team. Yeah, that that's the thing. They're half independent and half uh, factory. So the Tichita part is a, is the independent part where they're more like a startup startup company. They have a lot of flexibility and uh, they don't really um, they they do what, what they what they want basically. They're, they they don't have too many laws uh, that that uh, are. Um, uh, that they are under 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 their control, um, and they they collaborate with the S. So it's uh, the performance and and the and then the technology sharing uh, situation. Uh, and with us uh, at Porsche, everything is under one roof, and uh, we are doing everything in house from Porsche, it's from engineering development, everything uh, under one roof. So there are definitely benefits for that, but also um, we we are a big manufacturer and sometimes we don't have the, the same flexibility as uh, a little crew that like the Cheetah has. Uh, so there there's a, there are its pros and cons and um, but there are, there's always a way around it and uh, we we are definitely a, a big, a big Motorsport powerhouse. We benefit from a lot of resources, and in terms of technology, we 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 I'm, I'm pretty confident we have uh, a, the the best that's available out there. So 
the, um, the, the, the experience is the, the, the part that uh, we, we can't uh, uh, overcome with technology, especially in that championship where, let's say, if you make a, a more efficient drivetrain, it's, it's, it's going to be on a small percentage better than, than, a, than an average one. And this is not going to make the huge, uh, huge difference in the race. It's more the experience, how to manage the race, how to, to optimize every corner, everything. And that just, that's just time. And that's what we, we will get, um, that we, we, we learn each time, every moment we're on track. I don't think anyone understands how, complex formula is you know uh well we've had some great insight uh, into the preparation for the berlin races from andre lotterer and now in this special preview to the tempelhof residency we speak to pascal zerlinder the director of factory motorsport at porsche ag he's also a key part of the management structure of the tag Heuer porsche formula e squad so he'll be leading the team into a very busy period Pascal made his name in motorsport with the Phoenix Racing Team as an engineer before joining Porsche in November 2014 as chief test engineer for the colossally successful 919 hybrid LMP1 project. He rose to become director of the GT Factory Motorsport in 2018 and director of all factory motorsport in September of last year. Sam, Porsche's management structure is unique in Formula E in that there are essentially four personalities within it. Have you seen it performing in the early stages of this project? Well, you'd, you'd have to say that it's been pretty effective so far in the sense that they've delivered a podium and a pole position in just five races, their first five in the formula. So there's also been other strong performances, but they've often been masked by incidents like uh, like in Chile in particular. But overall, the quartet of Pascal, uh, Malte Honecker, the, the technical lead, uh, Emil Lindsay, who's the operations and team management uh, representative, and, and Carlo Vigas as well, the sort of commercial business angle. It, it looks pretty strong. I have to be honest and say that it was, I wasn't quite sure how it would work because we've not had anything like it in Formula E before. But um, because the actual events of Formula E are so rapid fire, it was always hard to see how it would work. But having spoken to all four and seen them in action, it, it looks pretty solid. And actually, I think it has to be because Porsche could be hit harder than other manufacturers by the by this pandemic because they've lost valuable data because the the races that have been cancelled and that track data they've lost so um they have to have strength in depth on on a on a technical operational and, and business footing uh, to to uh, ensure that they can uh, they can have a strong second season when uh, that happens next january yeah absolutely oh pascal welcome to the race formula e podcast it's great to have you here We've just spoken to uh, Andre Lotterer, who's really looking forward to get back uh, to racing in, in Berlin. So tell us, you know, how have the team's preparations been um, over the past few weeks and uh, how much are you looking forward to getting back racing again at your home event? Uh, hello, everyone. Nice to be here and uh, share some insight of our team. Um, at the end, the last weeks are really busy. At the end, we are all really angry and want to go back to the racetrack, but... Uh, it's our fourth season. We are still rookie. We have st- a lot to learn. And uh, you can say that uh, when the people were able again to go probably on a rollout or a test or go back in the simulator, it was like going to a race event. And uh, that's how we are taking it. We are racing every day to be ready at Berlin. So uh, how do you find the, the key aims for the for the team uh, keeping that a momentum, which is so important in a, in a rookie season? To keep the momentum, you need always to keep the people motivated. But this is quite easy because uh, at the Tagaya Porsche Formula E team, everyone wants to 
show in Berlin that we can uh, confirm what we showed at the beginning of the season. So to keep the momentum is just let's turn every stone and uh, find if we if we forgot something to develop or to do the next step. And that's what the people are doing at the moment. What do you think the impact will be of losing that valuable data from those races that were cancelled? Because there would have been, you know, the first opportunity for you to go there and they'll be on the calendar again next year. And how do you minimise that? I think this is a, this will be really difficult. At the end, we said that this the first season will be a rookie season to learn all the racetrack and all the specificities of Formula E. At the end, the second season will still be partly a rookie season because we will go to racetrack we were never before. This, this is a new challenge and uh, we'll have to work on it to make sure next year for the first world championship um, cha- championship of Formula E that we are there and that uh, we will be successful. So pressure will be even higher than we would have expected. And coming up, we've got these Berlin six and six races over a, a, an intensive 10-day period. We've not had anything like this before. So, one, how do you prepare for that in itself? And what are the objectives for the, for these races? What do you think you can achieve? At the end, it will be really challenging as Berlin is one of the racetracks, again, where we were never there before. We can only rely on the on the experience of André. But um, it will be challenges. Why? Because everything is really time. Normally, we say Formula E is really demanding for the teams, the drivers, because it's one-day event. But no, we are one-day event after one-day events. So it will be really demanding. Most of the team were part of the LMP1 team before, running in Le Mans and knowing the pressure from day to day and having not so much sleep. So the team is used to, but still we'll have to learn really quickly. And our objective will be to be in the point regularly and hopefully to confirm with a podium by the end of the season. So one of the six races or even a win. This would be the target. Absolutely. You mentioned there that Andre is the only person in the team that's been there before. I mean, how important is that to you and how do you use that to your advantage? This is something which is really important because uh, for us, is um, this um, this racetrack is, comp- is completely different to all the others. The tarmac is completely different. And all what he learned from the last two years, at the end, this we will have to use for our preparation. And this is a key point. Sam, there was a, an awful lot of um, expectation when Porsche announced it was coming into Formula E. Obviously, their reputation in, in global motorsport precedes them. So what have you made of uh, how they've performed so far? Um, in all honesty, uh, better than uh, I think, uh, or certainly better than I expected. Obviously, their pedigree in, in motorsport is is exceptional. And as we saw with their their last major international project with the uh, 919, um, you know, it, it was extremely successful. I mean, they have the facilities and the capabilities to achieve this, of course, but it's more than that. It's the it's the it's the R and D, it's the teamwork, it's the uh, the the culture of racing, I think. And and what they've brought into Formula E is all of those things and and a little bit more, I think, because um, I you know it's a bit of a trope now that there's never been this level of manufacturers racing together particularly the big german names bmw audi mercedes and porsche that has never happened in international motorsport with factory teams before so you know they all have to up their game and make sure they're in the best position possible for what they've achieved so far in five races it's hard to gauge but certainly a podium and a pole position in five races is pretty good 
but the flip side of that is we've seen in races that um, the the um, the overall uh, efficiency and the you know getting to those energy targets has been has been out of reach on some occasions. But of course, it's their first year. You know, it's it's their rookie season. You know, I don't think Pascal will want to admit it, but I think Porsche part of their thinking, uh, as well as trying to achieve those aims and objectives that Pascal mentioned, will be on season seven and majoring on that. That's not easy as they effectively have six home races coming up. But realistically, it's all going to be about the first official world championship season next year because that is when the rookie tag ends and they will be more expected, or there will be more expectation for them to, to challenge for wins more consistently, I think. Uh, is, is that too high an expectation? I, you know, I don't know. I don't think so because there's real stability for the next year, for the next two seasons. And, and don't forget, Porsche announced this programme back in. 2017 and although they didn't start working on it fully until the end of 2018 they have still got a like they still had a lengthy gestation period so you know for berlin i think if they can improve their race performances and come away with another podium uh it, it would be a pretty pretty good achievement considering the circumstances of this first uh very fractured season in, in formula pascal does that sound about right have you have you met your expectations so far this season yeah, definitely. At the end, um, we, our expectation was that uh, looking at the field that uh, we were really humble and we thought that we will be able to reach a podium by the end of the year. And we were really surprised by the podium on the first race. Then we had some setbacks, as uh, Sam explained. But the pole position, I think, in Mexico confirms that we are on the right way. And now we need to confirm this. And this is the target for Berlin. In our last uh, Formula E podcast, we had Alberto Longo join us. And uh, we were talking about the potential to mix things up in Berlin. You know, Tempelhof gives rise to having multiple track layouts, maybe even a, a reversed uh, circuit, potentially. Um, what you heard about um, what's actually going to happen? At the moment, it's always um, a grey area because at the end, we don't know what will happen. We'll know on the 22nd of July... The first race track uh, layout for the second, third and fourth race, we'll uh, learn on the 25th of July, we'll get the info. And really late on the 29th of July, we'll get the third layout for the last two races of the season. So lots of unknown. At the moment, the preparation is fixed on the layout, what we know from last year. And um, a reverse layout is something easy to try on the simulator. So we are also working on this. But Tempelhof is such a big place, you can do whatever. So at the end, FAO can surprise everyone, I think, at uh, this event. Yeah, I think they like that as well, having that up their sleeve and uh, having the element surprise in their pocket. Um, Sam, what, what are you hearing at the moment? Yeah, well, they, they've got that luxury of surprising everyone. But but actually, in, in reality, in, in terms of getting things operationally put into place, it's still... There is still a limited amount of staff, right, that are going to put this together. The other thing people forget or maybe don't know is that Tempelhof is a um, is a historic site, so you're not allowed to drill into the surface, so you, you're not even allowed to um, to paint or mark the actual airfield itself because it's protected under heritage laws in Germany. So, you know, what we're hearing is that a reverse layout is likely to be used. What we don't know if that will be the, the first double header or the second double header should be confirmed, as Pascal said, 22nd of July for the first, and then I think it's the 25th, I think three days later. So, yeah, reverse track. I mean, despite the supposed difficulties in, in preparing for this, it, it'd be just a, a, a terrific way to 
to run a race. Formula One, it was mooted in Formula One, but but didn't happen and couldn't happen. But certainly the, the adaptability of the Tempelhof uh, venue lends itself to doing that. I think I think we'll have a reasonably conventional tr- track or that we've used before for the, the other one, and then a subtly modified one for the probably for the final uh, two rounds of the championship. I mean, you know, if 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 we're right in this uh, and the reverse element happens, it's just going to be fascinating because the team the teams will have very limited time to prepare for it. Although as Pascal attests, you know they they can do it now, um, but it's you know how much time do you spend on that if it doesn't happen? So you've got to weigh things up. I think quite rightly, in my opinion, this is the way that Formula E has gone. I'm sure all the engineers and the team members won't agree with me, but I think the emphasis on driver and engineering talent. Um, should be given its head here, and, uh, and and the creativity should come forth with, you know, without this sort of ultra detail planning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Pascal, the, the disruption that's been caused to the global economy um, by the coronavirus pandemic has put a focus on cost cutting, not just in motorsport, in so many different um, businesses. But we saw that the uh, the FIA and Formula E uh, released a, a series of cost cutting measures. Um, what did you think of them? And in particular, did you think the personnel cut was necessary? And then I have to say um, that FIA and FAO did a tremendous job putting all the teams, all manufacturers together to find out how we can save costs now, but also in the future and also having a proper roadmap for and planning for the next years, how to save money. And um, I think this was the right moment to do it. And it um, probably we should have done it even before, but now now it's done. And um, speaking about the personal cut, there is a, for Berlin is a bit separate because it's due to coronavirus protocol and so on. But for the next year, there will be also some personal cut at the racetrack, and I think it's the way to go because at the end, if you if you look at what we are for, we are we are racing for at the end sustainability. Nowadays, you have ops rooms at, uh, back at your office at, um, and people don't need to fly around the world to be able to do some support for the engineering side. So I think it's a good way to, um, to continue to develop Formula E and save costs at the same time. Some of these cost-cutting measures have become a bit of a hot topic now. And Do you think there's more to come? Uh, yeah, I, I think there will be more to come. I think the FIA has executed the majority of them uh, the last World Motorsport Council meeting and there'll be more to come in October when they, they reconvene. We're expecting the significant one to be some software uh, limitations as well for next season and maybe some bodywork reductions on what you can take to races too. I, I don't think you can argue against the theory uh, because behind it, you know, nobody wants to waste money, nobody wants to you know, buy you know, six, 60 brake sets and, and test them. There's limited testing anyway. So there's a lot of sustainability and, and environmental messages, messages which have to go hand in hand with the championship and, and get a method as to how they, they implement that. But the software is a really interesting one and is, is a bit of a flashpoint between some of the manufacturers and the FIA because, uh, you know, there's, there's a bit of a discrepancy of, of, of what they have available to them in in terms of what they have and what some of the privateers and smaller manufacturer teams have maybe the the reason for this flashpoint is that uh for the for the larger manufacturers it may actually not work at all because it could take more stringent code checking 
protocols in advance and they may have to actually recruit more people to do this initially so it could be a bit self-defeating in this way be interested actually to see what what pascal you make of that particularly the software and what might happen in the future there because i know i know obviously you've got a keen interest in 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 this what what do you make of what the fia might do on on software and if, if it's the right way to go do you think at the end, um, when you want to save money, what you need always to find is the balance between the DNA of the championship and what the manufacturer want to show and would like how they can um, they can show their technology and so on and um, how much cost you you would like them to to spend. And I I think you you got the FIA what they are doing at the moment they are turning every stone to see how efficient we can be with costs and software is one part of it, but I think it's also a mix of um, Safety. If you look at the first races, sometimes you had uh, some crashes, which were explained in the press by some manufacturer or team by software updates, and probably it's also one of the of the reasoning behind this software discussion. This is some insight. What I would think, it's not only about costs. The other thing that that came out of uh, those uh, FIA releases was some details about the Gen Three package. Um, we've got some of the successful. Uh, nominations now, as we know who's going to be supplying the the, uh, the battery, etc. Um, Pascal, do you think those plans remain as road relevant as they need to be, or would you have liked to have seen something like four wheel drive uh, implemented in those regulations? Then four wheel drive could have been something interesting, but um, the key element for Formula E is the drivetrain and how efficient you can go. And uh, two wheel drive is um, good enough to be able to show off this technology. And I think with the Gen 3 package which was presented, it's the right way to go. It will be a quicker car. It will be have more energy. It will be have more power. At the end, it has everything what you can see to do the next step for Formula E. So I think the roadmap is the right one. In other forms of motorsport, Porsche has got a long history of supplying uh, customer um, teams. Uh, is that something that's in the long-term strategy in Formula E as well? I would say you can't call it a strategy. A strategy would be if you are looking for a B team and having four cars on the grid. If um, if a team is interested to be a customer of Porsche, I'll, as in all other categories we are driving in, we will be open and we'll be looking forward to it and give them all the support to make them a winning team too. Do you see that happening, some, Sam? Is there any whispers of someone looking at it? Well, it's it's a really interesting question. I mean, there's a little bit of history as well for for Porsche. They they had an engineering um, link up with Dragon for a short period of time in 2017, and, and you know this was not a as Pascal says a long term strategy. I don't think. I think it was just an initial um, cooperation for understanding what was going on in Formula E and how the engineers could work on solutions and, 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 and what have you. It ended quite abruptly um, for reasons, I think, beyond Porsche's control there. But for the future, I think it, I think it could happen. I think, you know, Porsche is a, is a desirable brand. Um, it's proved already that it can race at the front and get results. Uh, it has markets around the world, of course, as well. You know, why not promote um, a, another uh, continent, you know, Porsche North America or another, you know, Porsche Asia or, or whatever, as an example. It's just my opinion, but, uh, you know, it could happen, certainly. However, there are, you know, there are only three teams really currently on the customer market. There's uh, Virgin with Audi, uh, Venturi with Mercedes. You know, Dragon have been looking very closely at it 
recently, but have decided to continue as a manufacturer. Bit baffling, but that's their decision. Neo, they're doing the same pretty much as in terms of uh, coordinating their own powertrain for for next season. So ultimately, whichever way you dress it up, it can be a smart move because. A, a proper B team, potentially, or whatever you'd like to call it, takes points from your rivals, from your rival manufacturers, and and ensures that if you have a a poor weekend, then you at least get something via your second team. So you know what what's not to like about that for a for a manufacturer in the future. Yeah, I think that would be a really exciting development for the series, and you know, like I say, with a with a brand with um, such an emotional pull, you know, I think that lots of people root for that would uh, would really be a good thing. So. Um, we never know. Let's see what the future holds. But in the in the interim, obviously, the, the main thing we're looking forward to now is getting back to racing. So I think we've all we've all missed a bit of action. Um, uh, how excited are you on a sort of personal level, Pascal, to actually go to a racetrack and see some cars running around in the flesh again? And then I can't wait. It. I, I to be honest, my family was really happy about this uh, break. But uh, to be honest, I was never so long at home since over twenty years. So I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> Brilliant. I think that's a great way to wrap things up today. Um, Pascal, thank you so much for coming on and giving us that insight. Um, really best of luck for the those final six races. Uh, if you don't know the, the way around Tempelhof by the end of that, you never will. And thank you everyone for listening. Don't forget to check out our other podcast. Now that Formula One's back, we're doing that. And Gary Anderson and also MotoGP, which of course will be coming back soon. Also, don't forget to go to the-race.com to catch up on all of Sam's latest uh, stories from the Formula E paddock. Thank you. Goodbye. And thanks for listening.